Podcast Answer Man, episode number 258. Entertaining, educational, and encouraging content that makes a difference. This is GSPN.TV. Join the community. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Podcast Answer Man. My name is Cliff Ravenscraft, and this, my friends, is the podcast about podcasting, helping you take your show to the next level. It doesn't matter if you are a brand new podcaster, if you've been podcasting for many years, or you haven't quite yet recorded that first episode. You should go over to learnhowtopodcast.com, my friends. Anyway, there's something we can all do to take our show to the next level. Well, my friends, I am very excited to bring you another episode of the Podcast Answer Man. And this week, my friends, I am going to be featuring an interview that's just over 20 minutes in length from Andrew Zarian from the GFQ Network. That's the guys from Queens. This is a guy, Andrew Zarian, started a podcast or actually live streaming on Ustream with a simple webcam And he even says it in his own words, really horrible video quality, not great audio quality, no understanding of any of this stuff. The guy got laid off from work after a couple months. He's doing this thing as a hobby with a couple of friends from Queens. And the next thing you know, within two years, the guy's making money with a network that looks really great as far as if you look and see what they're doing today. All of that story in this interview, in this podcast episode. So I'm very delighted to let you know that that's coming up. But before we do that, I want to start off with my random plug of the week. And this week, my friends, I'm going to tell you about a podcast that goes along with the TV show, and I'm addicted to both of them. Uh, I think I may have mentioned this on Twitter. I don't know that I actually mentioned it on Podcast Answer Man. But if I did, please forgive me because I'm going to bring it up again right here, right now. I have fallen in love with Shark Tank. If you have not heard about this television show, you need to go to Hulu.com. Thankfully, every single episode, I think there are about 28 or 29 of these episodes online at Hulu.com. You don't even have to be a Plus member. You just go there to the website and search for Shark Tank. Start way back season one, episode one, or they call it season one, week one, and and just go through. Let me tell you what this is. It's a, it's a bunch of extremely wealthy investors. You've got a billionaire, multi, multi, multi-millionaire. I mean, all, these guys, five investors who are extremely wealthy. And they are basically allowing people to come and pitch an idea to them about their startup. So basically, you have these people who have created startup companies. They've had, they're supposedly had some success up to this point. They have this great idea, and all they need at this point is a little bit more capital to help take it to the next level, to open up a production line, or to do this, or to do that. And so somebody might say, hey, I have this company. I started this from my basement, and this is what I've been able to do with it so far, and with your help, I can take it to the next level. What I'm looking for is maybe $150,000, and I'll provide you 15% stake in my company. And of course, they have to sell themselves and or they have to sell themselves and their idea, their product to these five investors. And the five investors are using their own money. 
And they're actually saying, you know what, um, sometimes they'll decide to invest individually. Sometimes they team up with one another. Sometimes they they uh, compete with each other about who gets to invest in your company. And sometimes they just laugh at these people and say, you're absolutely ridiculous to think that this is a business. It is a great show, and somebody from like myself who has created a business from the ground up and who is actually learning a lot about business through this process, uh, I can tell you right now, three years ago, I may not have understood half of what the of the um, the feedback that the they call them the sharks, the investors are giving to these people who come in and pitch their ideas. I'm, and I'm not kidding. Three years ago, I wouldn't have understood most of the advice, most of the feedback. And you can actually tell that many of these people, they're actually clueless as to what they're talking about. But just in being in the trenches of building my own business and 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 deal, doing life with more success pe- successful people recently uh, over the last two years, uh, people who have become my business advisors that I look to for advice, they're, they've actually trained me in, in looking at things from, you know, this 15,000 uh, viewpoint foot viewpoint down. I can actually see things from a whole different perspective, and it's really helped me to understand and value a lot of the advice that these sharks or investors are giving to the people in the business. And it's just so encouraging and inspiring to see many people succeed, to see why some people maybe ought to go back and scrap what they have and go back to the drawing board. It's a great show. So that is on ABC, In it, I think it's on Friday nights before Fringe. However, you can get it again, like I said, Shark Tank on Hulu.com. And I think that if you are listening to Podcast Answer Man, this is all relevant to you because if you are and you happen to have a business or a brand that you're looking to market and to to pitch to people, you know, the number one question I get asked, Cliff, how do I how do I get the word out about my brand? How do I get the word out about my podcast? Well, my friends, I encourage you to go and watch this show just for the opening portion of each of those people's presentations, the pitch. How do you communicate what your brand is, what your purpose, what your mission is? Maybe you don't have a business right now, but at least you can understand the sales process and the marketing process. And my friends, that's what all this stuff is about. Even if you're podcasting as a hobby, if you want to grow your audience, you need to become a marketer. That's plain and simple. Anyway, so I have fallen in love with the Shark Tank television show. And I also have fallen in love with the Shark Tank fan podcast. Now, it happens to be put together by my really good friend, Pierce Mars, and his friend and co-host, Steve Hayes. And what they do is they started this, I think, in episode or season two. It's We're now in the third season right now. Anyway, they started this in season two where they would actually interview or they would actually uh, at the end after the episode, the next day they would uh, break down each of the pitches or each of the folks that come on to the show one by one, and they actually break it down to, number one, what's the product or service? Is this a viable product? Number two, uh, what about the sales pitch? What mistakes or what did they do well? What can we learn about their approach to marketing or pitching the sale of that, you know, through the sales pitch? And then they evaluate what was the reaction of the investors or the sharks. And and it's a fun way to look look at it, and it even gives me greater enjoyment, especially from Pierce Mars. He's a good friend of mine. He's been in uh, sales coaching for years, and and I even get a little bit more value from his perspective about what he says about what the sharks say. 
absolutely love it. Great podcast. If you want to check out the Shark Tank podcast, and I really encourage that you do, um, it's actually, uh, you know what? I need to talk to Pierce about this so he can get a an easier domain to forward this things over. But he is just forwarding people to his his sales coaching website, and it's a category off of that. But if you just go to MarsCoaching.com, which actually could be brilliant marketing in and of itself. But anyway, if you just go to MarsCoaching.com, which is M-A-R-R-S, M-A-R-R-S, coaching.com, you'll find the podcast there. Anyway, I just want to say congratulations to Pierce for doing that. And also, I have to say thank you to Pierce Mars and also... Uh, Stu Gray from StuGray.com. That's S-T-U-G-R-A-Y.com. And also he does, Stu Gray also does the Stupendous Marriage Podcast with his wife. Anyway, I have to say thanks to those guys because they joined me on my panel session at PodCamp Nashville this past weekend. I drove down to PodCamp or to Nashville, Tennessee to attend PodCamp yet again. This was, I think, either my fourth or fifth year in a row. I've, I've been there every year that they've had a PodCamp Nashville. And uh, some of you who have been around for a very long time here at Podcast Answer Man, you know that one year ago I had a quite a, um, <laughs> a let's just say not my least grace-filled moment uh, last year when I, I was very critical of the fact that they actually changed the way that they choose speakers for PodCamp Nashville uh, out 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 of the norm. They just randomly or they actually uh, just announced that, hey, we have all of these speakers and the way that we're going to choose this isn't first come, first serve. We're simply going to do put everybody's name in a hat and we are going to draw this by the luck of the draw. So, you know, there's a, there's, you know, your whether or not you get to speak at PodCamp is determined by chance, not determined by whether or not you submitted a session you know, within the time frame allowed and first come, first serve, which I was extremely critical of. I still am critical of the even the concept of that. And yes, they did do it this year as well. And uh, one of the things that I noticed this year is that the turnout was much lower at PodCamp Nashville, Um, not just in the number of attendants, which it was. I I would have to say if I had to guess, I don't go around counting or anything like that. But I would say there were about 200 people less this year as far as attendees than there were last year, uh, just just by overall view of it. And here's the thing. The sessions, they had five different rooms that you could speak in. And when my session was on, when during my session, I was only competing with two other speakers. That means there were two rooms that were available that they had nobody no speaker to fill those rooms. Um, at least that's what I was told afterwards. One of the things I can tell you is there was this entire set, there was this entire meeting time or session time where on the calendar, it actually says open, please sign up. So it, it seemed to me that this year, and, and again, I, I it's just perception is everything for me. It seems to me that they didn't even have enough people sign up to come speak at PodCamp Nashville this year. Um, Personally, if I had, if that is the case, if I'm right in my perception of of what I saw happen there, I wonder how much of that is due to the fact that it, you know, it, you know, why bother if if I can't plan to be there? Why would I bother submitting a session? And to be honest with you, I took it a whole lot less seriously this year and chose not to announce that I was going to PodCamp Nashville until. They told me that I was approved, that that my name had been drawn. Of course, 
it, it seems that there was, you know, pretty much just anybody who put a name in this year got in. At least that's my perception. And and as a result, I, I got in. But the thing is, is I would have promoted PodCamp Nashville week, actually months in advance had I known that if it was first come, first serve. And last year, I know for a fact that I brought at least 15 or 20 people from outside of Nashville to Nashville. I know that my friends from Memphis, Tennessee, I had from somebody from Tupelo, Mississippi. I know I had people from Frankfurt and from Louisville. I had people from all kinds of different places who, like me, traveled more than four hours to come to Nashville so that they could come and attend my session and also partake in some of the other sessions that were happening at PodCamp Nashville. And of course, that happened because I did a lot of promotion. This year, I did no promotion of PodCamp Nashville. The only promotion I did of PodCamp Nashville was I think there were three weeks that I had that I could share and just mention it in Podcast Answer Man in passing that, hey, I'm going to be speaking at PodCamp, and if you're going to be in the area, I'd love to see you there. And in fact, it took me a bit of work to to actually think, okay, who is it that I can draw upon to do this panel session with me? And uh, so, it, you know, here's the deal. Uh, it was a very light turnout, both in attendees and in speakers, um, you know, and, 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 and stuff like that. But what about the value of attending? I personally still got a tremendous amount of value out of attending. For me, I, I guess because there was only two other sessions to compete with, I had a packed room. And so by a packed room, if I had to guess, there might have been 80 or 90 people in the session. And if there were 80 or 90 people in the session, I would consider to have had a huge success because about 40 people in that room within 12 hours of attending my session went to my site and signed up for my mailing list. And for those of you who are listening, if you don't know this, my mailing list is not a promise to get a free report or a free digital product or a free ebook if you sign up. It's not even a promise that if you sign up to my newsletter or to my emailing list that you're going to get a newsletter that has additional tips and tricks that aren't covered anywhere else because everything I give you for free is here. It's on Podcast Answer Man. I don't require you to give me your email address to give you the free and valuable advice. No, if you sign up for my mailing list, it simply says, this is the place where I announce, where I send you an email when I have a new product or a new service or a discount that I'm offering on a product or service that I have to sell you. And so these are people who are signing up for my mailing list saying, Cliff, I want you to send me emails when you have something to sell me, have something to sell me. And in my session... I didn't even mention, I didn't even go so far as to really promote myself or my service. It was a panel discussion. It it was just there. The only thing is, is that I, I basically said, if you want to start a podcast, I do have a free tutorial at learnhowtopodcast.com. Again, that's learnhowtopodcast.com. And here's the thing. That's the best tutorial I've ever created in my life. Spent more than 40 hours putting it together. And it's 100% for free. And I don't even ask you for your email address. I figure if you follow that and you want to, to continue to follow my progress, you have all the options there to do that. But I don't even require that. As far as I'm concerned, this is my gift to the to the world so that you will find your voice, your message, and share it with the world. I think that every business, every bo- brand out there 
ought to be considering a podcast. And that's all I said. That was the only self-promotion. And then more than 40 people, 40 people out of that session within 12 hours signed up for my mailing list, which is pretty, pretty darn awesome. And not to mention the fact that I met a great new friend this year. Uh, of course, you know, going to Nashville is always fun for me because I get to hang out with my good buddy, Dan Miller, and he uh, he and I had a wonderful time together and hung out and had dinner on Saturday night. And, um, you know, I uh, but I actually got to meet a new friend this time. Uh, there was a there was another session that was happening. I think it was that afternoon. And I noticed it was called um, uh, something about self-publishing your own book. And I personally wanted to go and thank this person for tweeting all the live tweets from my session. So I was up there speaking on the panel and I noticed that tweet after tweet after tweet was coming out and and it was coming from this guy named at Sutton Parks, S-U-T-T-O-N-P-A-R-K-S. So at Sutton Parks was saying all these great things. He's tweeting some of these great quotes from our, our session and I just wanted to thank him. So I went to go to a session to sit on, in on it and then I was going to thank him afterwards. It was standing room only. You couldn't sit down in this place. You couldn't even stand up in this place. It was so packed. So um, anyway, I, I waited around to the end of the session. I went up and visited with him and I told him thank you for, you know, for all the tweets. And I said, congratulations on your, your great turnout here for your talk. He gave me his book that he had written. And it's called You Can Drive Your Car to Work, or no, You Can Live in, what is it? You can, oh gosh, I can't think of the name of it. Hold on, let me go to that real quick. Okay, I found it here. It's it's at suttonparks.com that you can find this. And if you click on my book, it says you can sleep in your car, but you can't drive your house to work. And so this this book, I'm thinking, okay, I only read things on my Kindle. Many of you know this about me, that I am a book snob when it comes to uh, I, I'm an ebook snob. I, I love reading ebooks on my Kindle, and when it comes to having a physical paper book in my hand, I'm, it's just not my favorite thing. Well, anyway, Sunday night after dinner with Dan, I'm I'm looking at this book that he gave me, and I open it up, thinking, okay, I'm just going to read just real quickly, see if I can get a good feel for who this guy is. I read the first chapter, and and it's about the day that he that Sutton had. Uh, attempted to commit suicide to end his end his life and i read this and this is the entire first chapter and then it chapter number two starts with okay let's go back and tell you you know about the his, my history and i absolutely was glued to his story the very next morning i sent him a direct message and said hey you want to have lunch today and so i ended up having lunch with sutton at chipotle in franklin tennessee and just had the most amazing, I think we probably spent about two hours with each other, uh, just getting to know each other. And you know what, this is, for me, these kind of things, this kind of interaction, these kind of relationships is what makes these events successful. So how do you go to a conference where things didn't necessarily turn out the way that you would expect the conference to turn out? The question is, can you take things and make the best out of any situation? Can you go and get value out of a conference where many people would walk away and say, wow, that was not a great experience? For me, I walk away and say, yes, it was the lightest turnout I've ever seen at any PodCamp Nashville. It was actually the lightest turnout that I think I've seen at any PodCamp ever. 
Um, yes, there were not a lot of speakers there this year. Many of the speakers that I used to, usually love hanging out with, they weren't even there. Some of them weren't even there this year. Uh, yes, there. the fact is is that many of the people that normally would travel and come and see and, and we would hang out, this is our one time of the year that we see each other and network with one another and have lunch together. Some of them weren't there this year. You know, but the question is, what am I going to get out of the conference? And so for those of you who are thinking about coming to Blog World, think about it. What are some of the things that you're going to do to purposely make that time valuable for you? So whatever conference is going there, what are the things that you want to get out of it? For me, I want to go and I personally, I want to speak. That's just my own personal thing. And then I want to get my message out. I want to be able to share my passion for my craft. And whether or not that leads to business or not, I'll let, you know, that fate lie where it may. But I just want to get my passion out there, my story out there, my message out there. That's one of the things that I want to do. And I want to I want to network and meet with people. I want to take relationships that have been offline or online relationships and turn them into face-to-face relationships. And I want to meet somebody new. I want to meet people who have inspiring stories that inspire me. And for me, that was Sutton Parks this time. And not to mention the fact that if you have a business and you're going to be going out of town and you're going to be traveling several hours, why not find a way to make it a business trip? And so um, I happen to know somebody that has that I've been working with on and off recently and um, ended up offering to do a coaching uh, session with uh, somebody. Uh, and I'll even tell you who it is. It's Michael Hyatt. If you go to michaelhyatt.com. Uh, and and check out his podcast. And matter of fact, I, I I just listened to episode number eight yesterday. It is out of this world awesomeness. Go check it out. If you haven't done so already, go and, and check out michaelhyatt.com and look for episode number eight of This Is Your Life. Best podcast. I think it's probably one of the my favorite podcast episodes I've listened to this year. And uh, some exciting things are happening there. But anyway, that's been my experience with um, PodCamp Nashville this year. I think that for me, it was an absolute 100% success when I've heard some other people be a little critical of the event itself. With that being said, I still want to say thank you to the organizers of PodCamp Nashville. I really appreciate the fact that you went through all the difficult hard work of planning it, getting the sponsors, getting the venue, putting together the t-shirts, the 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 actual schedule, and all of those things. And if anybody from PodCamp Nashville is listening to me, which I don't know if they are or not, but if anybody is, please communicate to the world that if you ever decide to change it to where you're going to go back to first come, first serve on speakers, please let us know. And that way I will start, I I mean, as soon as I know the date, if you know the date for PodCamp Nashville next year and then you say it's going to be first come, first serve, I will start next week telling people that I will be at PodCamp Nashville next year. Otherwise, I'll wait until three or four weeks before the event when I know that I've been approved to speak and then I will quickly mention it in a couple podcast episodes, which will not have nearly the impact. So again, I'm still very big on, on that deal. Anyway, my friends, um, we're going to go turn into this interview with Andrew Zarian. If you have ever thought about creating your own podcast network, I have made some notes here. There are certainly a lot of little bits and pieces that I think that will help you along your way of thinking how to do that successfully. 
But before I play that interview, I want to really quickly say thank you to those of you who have used my Bluehost affiliate link to create your uh, hosting account for your either your blog, your podcast, whatever you're setting up for your business. Um, I want to say thank you to yourtaxteacher.com. And I also want to thank uh, inspirationnextexit.com. Two people who have signed up using uh, for hosting through Bluehost. It's only $6.95 a month, and they used my affiliate link. And of course, you guys know, if you use my affiliate link, I do earn a very generous commission. You can go to podcastanswerman.com forward slash resources if you want to do the same. So without any further ado, here's the interview with Andrew Zarian from Guys From Queens Network. All right, my friends, I have Andrew Zarian on the line with me right now, and he is from the GFQ Network, Guys From Queens. And Andrew, welcome to the podcast, Answer Man. Oh, thank you, Cliff. Thank you for having me today. Well, hey, I am excited to have you here because you have a very interesting story. You have created your own podcast network and started in a way that I think is a little bit uh, unique from from what I understand, uh, thinking that you started things out with streaming. Is that right? Yeah, we started off. Actually, uh, I never really intended for uh, this to become a full time job. Uh, we've spoken in the past about this, but uh, I, my background, I had a party supply business here in New York, and I sold my business. I was in IT for a little bit. I got laid off from my IT job, like many people did, uh, in 2008. And I was kind of unemployed, and I was a little bored, and I've always been a fan of radio. So I started playing around with a podcast with one of my buddies. We would do it over Skype. It was awful. And I dived into doing a live broadcast on Ustream and Stitcher. Uh, Ustream and Stickham, and that's kind of how I got into it. I started off live, and then I went into the to the podcast aspect of it. Well, let me ask you: when when you say you started off with this live stream, was it just you when you first got started? Uh, it was m- myself and my co-host uh, Kunal Aurora, which is a stand-up comic. He, um, we kind of started the idea of the GFK Network together. Okay, so so you set out to do this as a network right from the very beginning? I, I, it was actually the Guys from Queen show. I always had the idea of doing more stuff, but we, uh, we decided that we're going to take that and turn it into a network because we had three or four other buddies that wanted to do a podcast and wanted to do a show. So we said, might as well make the Guys from Queen show the network because we're all from Queens, New York City, and uh, kind of grow it from there. And we'll do, you know, we'll, it was an awful thing. We had a tiny little webcam and we you know, look like I was a bus driver. I would sit straight and everybody would be behind me. Everybody called it the bus driver era of our network. Uh, <laughs> it was it looked awful. It, it it wasn't really that great of a an audio production either. And it just spun slowly from that. It was a, it was a hobby for me and my buddies, really. And um, it, it became a full time job in, in less than a year. So it started as a hobby. You started out with some very inexpensive equipment and, and got things together. When, how did you transition from going from a hobby into let's turn this into something more of a business pursuit? What what, what were the what were the signs that it was it was possible to do that? Uh, it was about I'm going to say six months in. Uh, first of all, my wife 
kind of like when I when I ran the idea by her, she said, oh, you'll probably do this for two weeks and then you'll 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 get bored of it. When she turned around and said, wow, you know, you've been doing this for a couple of months. This is like becoming a job to you. That's when it kind of hit me that, well, yeah, I've been doing it for six months and we've grown an audience. We've 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 expanded our our production. Yeah, I guess this is my job now. It kind of hit me from from left field. I really didn't see it that way until she kind of turned around like, you know, you've been doing this for a while now. And, and people are watching. We kind of created a very uh, a, a local following where I live and people started tuning in from the neighborhood. So when I would go out, people would ask me about the show. So I, that kind of also was a little strange when people were coming up saying, hey, listen, I saw the show. I really liked it. Good job. It wasn't a, a project for me and my buddies anymore. It kind of grew into uh, a real thing. So I would say about six months, I kind of had the idea that this is really happening. When did you trade in the webcam for something more? Uh, I would I would probably say the same time, about six months in, uh, we decided when we realized that this there's something to this, we started upgrading the equipment. Um, we didn't have, you know, the setup that we have now. Uh, we started, I've always been one of the people that uh, if you if you start slow, you could constantly build. You don't need to go and spend, you know, 20 grand on equipment because it's still uncertain, you know. I, I didn't really think that I would be making money from this at that point. So we, we got a nice camera. We, uh, we started looking into, you know, different hardware uh, that we could use. The audio, I've much like, you know, I'm a big fan of audio and I really think the audio goes a long way. So I've always had a decent mixer and a decent mic. Just the video was the hardest part to kind of configure because it's pricey. It costs a lot of money to do this. So uh, I would say we slowly upgraded the video, but the audio kind of was there from the beginning. So did you immediately turn it into podcasting so people actually could subscribe to the audio recordings of the show? I'm going to be honest, Cuff, I really had no clue how this stuff works. When I started off, I, I, I didn't really understand, you know, the different uh, audio formats. You know, you could do uh, like a 128 kilobit uh, bit rate. You could do 64. I was just putting out everything at like 320. <laughs> And, it, and and people started telling me, like, I can't download this on my phone. It's taken me like an hour to download this because we're going back a couple of years. So I, I, I kind of learned and I pieced together uh, the things by myself. I wish I came across you early on because I could have, you know, gotten all the answers from from your podcast and, and from you, from what you do. So I really put everything together slowly and I made a lot of mistakes along the way. Uh, I didn't understand the importance of the social networking. Uh, this, I didn't really understand... Uh, you know, having the right format for the audio. So it was something that I kind of had to learn along the way. Uh, it, it was it was a very difficult thing going in blind, really. But the live portion, I kind of always understood how to capture that audience with the chat room. I think the interaction is a very important aspect of what you do and to build the community. When is it that you decide, okay, I'm going to bring on some other podcasts or when did the money start rolling in? Where do you want to go first or what happened first? Uh, I added more shows first. So okay. we were we were doing one show and then we added a uh, automotive show that was pretty successful at the time. Uh, and I've always been a, an, an enthusiast when it comes to technology. So I put it, I started a tech show and that really took off also. What, so they kind of what was the tech show? Uh, what the Tech, which is still on currently. I, I co-host it with Paul Therott right now. Paul Therott is somebody who comes with him a, a built-in audience because yes. of his exposure to the Twit network with Leo Laporte and all of that stuff. How did you get Paul to come on board? How did that happen? 
I contacted Paul to be a guest uh, a year into the show. So Paul's been doing it for for eight months now. So uh, the network's been around for three years. So two years in, I contacted Paul and uh, he came on the show and we kind of hit it off and then he was a guest again and we hit it off again and he came to New York and, you know, we got together and we had a, we had a drink and we were talking and it kind of sprung into this, hey, you know, if you ever need me to come on, I'll come on. I like doing the show. And he ended up becoming a co-host to the show. Wow, that that's pretty awesome. Now, who else has come on board? So the first show that we did uh, really was my show, The Andrew Zarian Show, which is a, a comedy uh, variety show. Uh, we talk about, you know, we, we comment on things happening in the world and the news about our lives. Uh, it's a very loose show. It's not really, uh, there's no strict format to it. Uh, we do uh, What the Tech. We do another tech show called Tech News Weekly, where we do a recap show. We've been doing that for about two and a half years. Where there, that show will feature um, people involved in the tech world as a um, panelist. You know, they, they'll comment on the news. We have uh, the Friday Night Free, Free For All, which is a call-in show where people just call in and they discuss whatever topic we're discussing or they'll complain about their lives. Most of the time, it's just people complaining. Nice. We have uh, one of our most more successful shows is the uh, Spencer Coburn's The Bold Truth. He, uh, the show is about hair loss and uh, dealing with hair loss. So it's a, I guess it's a self-help show for, for, for men and women that are suffering from hair loss. That show is very successful for us because it was on the radio for 13 years. So he has a built-in audience and a very uh, built-in community that, that comes along. Uh, and we picked up shows here and there. I mean, right now we're at 13 shows a week and we're hoping to be at 20 by the end of the year. So we're just constantly adding shows that uh, we like and we know that could capture an audience. Um, so we, we did that first. We started adding shows. About two years, about, I would say two years in, uh, we, got, uh, we started getting contacted by companies wanting to advertise with us. And it was a dilemma for us is, are we going to take every company that comes our way or are we going to choose companies that we know that we would use? Um, one thing that happens with a lot of podcasts, unfortunately, is that um, because of their content, a lot of you know comedy podcasts they'll pick up a product that's a little adult. I don't, I don't blame them. I don't, I don't think what they're doing is wrong, but that's not for me because if I start picking up companies like this, I will not be able to get a company like Ford, for example. I'm not right. saying not Ford, but Ford will never never come onto my podcast because I am advertising company blank, and they're a little funny. So we always said we're going to pick companies that we, that we know that, that uh, we could trust and our audience can trust. And we started picking up these companies. The first one we had uh, was a diet company that I was using. Uh, I lost 30 pounds on the diet. And it was a great, it was actually, they did very well with us. They had, we had them for about six months. Uh, and they, we documented my, uh, my weight loss on there and, and I would eat it on the air. So I liked the company and they were, they were great people. So we had them. And then it was Hover, Hover.com, which is a domain company. They were our second biggest advertiser. And they're, they've been with us since, uh, since two, for two years now. So a year you, and a half they've been with us. So you brought on the speakers before you brought in the money. Yeah. Uh, and it was never about the money. No, yeah. No, I totally get that. I understand. I, but I'm trying to figure out how things work when it comes to turning this into a career, building a network. Because a lot of people say, hey, Cliff, I want to know how to build a network. And I always tell them, it's like, well... You know, I can give you my experience because my experience is my network is my network. It, every show I'm in or my wife is in. That, that's just the way that, you know, that's our vision. It's our mission. It's our purpose. It, it, it's pretty much the way we do it. So I'm 
really interested to have you come on and talk about building a network where it's not just all of your shows. At so, first it was, and that was a big mistake that I made. And I'll, I'll tell everybody that who, whoever is interested in creating a network, uh, don't go in that direction. I know you kind of have to at first because you're trying to build a community and you're, it's very difficult to find people that, you know, that, are, uh, that will do it consistently because it's a lot to ask of somebody to come do a show every single week and give it their all. Uh, I think I think that's that's a, a big thing to ask of somebody. So someone whoever is doing it has to be really into it as much as you are. So at first I was on a lot of the shows and I've pulled back over the last couple of years uh, where I'm doing, I think, six or seven now out of the 13, which is half. But I, I want to pull back even more. The more I add, the less I'm on, obviously. But uh, I would say that is that is really it's it's very difficult for someone that that's creating a network to do that. Like your yours is a is a different situation because I think you have such a tapped in audience where they're really coming for you in a way mm-hmm. because they know that first of all uh, they know your show they know you you've built this relationship. But when when you're trying to create twenty shows, um, l- let's say for example you don't like me. Or you don't like whatever something that I said on the air. The odds are you will not watch my other shows if I'm on it. But if Cliff is on my network, you might like him and watch him. Right. So I'm keeping the person, even though if they're not interested in what I'm saying, they might be interested in what you're saying. And that and that works with this week in tech because there are a couple shows that I don't watch or listen to because to be honest with you, some of the co-hosts are just like, eh, they don't do it for me. Yeah. I've 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 modeled the network after like a network, you know. Uh, we have content, you know. We have late night programming, and we have content that's a little bit adult. But I don't expect the person that watches the tech show to watch that, and they have a tapped in audience, and they do very well with it. Uh, but I, I don't I don't get upset if somebody doesn't like the show or doesn't like it. And I've always said, you know, let's say you don't like Leno on NBC, you're not a fan of Jay Leno. Does that mean you're not going to watch Law and Order because you're not a Leno fan? No, it's it's not. So I've kind of modeled it in that way, where if you're not into what this what's going on here, you might be interested in the following show. Okay, so, uh, and it's kind of worked so far. So let's just say you're you're the producer, you're the station manager, what a program director for NBC. Here's the deal: Leno comes and gives his best because Leno's getting paid. Yeah, the the actors, the writers, and and all the other people, directors, and everything for Law and Order—they're getting paid. Andrew, how in the heck do you get people to come onto your podcast network, and they're not getting paid? I'm very convincing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, some people some people do get paid, and the way that we have done it is, uh, depending on the advertiser, uh, we do a revenue split with them. So if they come on and uh, you know that show is successful with their ad revenue, uh, they get a cut of it, obviously. Uh, if they are not able to generate the ad revenue, they don't. But the people that are doing the shows for me aren't really doing it for the money. They do it because they enjoy podcasting or uh, they have something else to promote. Like a lot of a lot of the people on the network are comics. They're stand-up comics. They benefit from doing a podcast because that's more exposure about their gigs. That's more exposure about uh, their, themselves personally. And they're able to kind of test out material to see what works. Right. So it's it's a it's it's a giant billboard for whatever you're you're doing outside of the show. I think a lot of people see it in that aspect, and a lot of people have nothing to promote, and they just love doing it. They just do it because they love it, and I think that is the reason why uh, someone like you is successful at it, and uh, you know Leah Laporte is successful at it. Uh, 
these are people that are already interested in what they're doing rather than doing it for the money. How how legal do you get with this stuff? Do you have contracts that are drawn up that are unique to each person that comes on board and says, hey, I want to, uh, you know, I'm going to co-host this new show that you and I just are getting ready to, you know, home grow together. Uh, or is a lot of it just, you know, verbal agreements on some stuff? Some of it is verbal. If there's money that, that gets involved, if we do a, uh, a revenue split in any way, that's when I'll draw up the contracts. You do your own homegrown contract that's just kind of like, hey, you know, we're agreeing to this in writing, sign here, let's get a witness. Or do you go out and get legal counsel on that? I, I have I have a lawyer. We have a lawyer for the network. So it's a very simple contract. It's not, you know, a 20-page legal, uh, you know, jargon letter. It's a very simple contract that says pretty much whatever the terms are and that you're agreeing to the terms and that's it. Um we, there's really no punishment if they don't, you know, they void it or anything else. But we do draw up a contract because, and it's to protect both of us in a way. So let's say we decided, Cliff, that we're going to do a uh, 60-40 or 50-50 split in the revenue for the content. Uh, and I decide that, you know, since the money's coming through me, I'm only going to give you 40%. If we didn't have a contract, there's really, it would be very difficult for you to fight this. But uh, it's kind of protecting both of us. Right. Sometimes somebody will come to me with an advertiser. You know, if it's an existing show, they'll come to me with an advertiser. So, of course, they would want a contract to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's it's necessary when it comes to that term. But if you're, you know, co-hosting with me and, and you're doing it for fun, I'm not I'm not going to put out a contract for you. Gotcha. That, that kind of makes it actually it, it gets a little weird uh, depending on the person, too. You know, if uh, like Paul Therod co-hosts the show, we don't have any kind of a group contract. I'm sure if I pulled out a contract and I said, here, sign this paper, by the way, Paul, before you do a show, he, he would probably not sign it. And he would say, I don't know. I'm just doing a podcast for fun. A little weird with stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it's just interesting to hear how somebody like yourself home growing this thing from the ground up and turning it into a business. Just some of the the practices you have there. And I know a lot of people would just be interested in these kind of questions. Um, the other the other question I have for you is the the technology that you're using. So you might have somebody that's putting all of this content on their own. Uh, Paul Therott, for example, putting the content on his on his own website. That's your you have your own media hosting that you're delivering, and then he's taking that that link from your media media hosting account and putting that link on his site. Is that how that he's doing that? Yeah, that's how he's doing it. So so that that way you can actually continue to track all the stats from the show from a centralized location. Yeah, because it makes it very easy for me. Uh, you know, let's say it's a feed burner feed that he that he's putting on there. Uh, actually, everything just goes through feed burner regardless of who I'm hosting with. So it makes it very easy for me to just look at the analytics and say, OK, you know what? The show did well. Uh, this show didn't do well. What do we do in the show? Uh, how many subscribers do we have? So everything kind of routes through that. So they'll take an embed and they'll embed it with the, uh, all the links to it. Advertisers, are they paying you CPM? Are they paying you per episode? Uh, some experience both ways? Uh, we, some experience both ways. Right now, we're doing a, um, a network ad. So they'll, they'll, they'll buy an ad for the entire network and they'll, they'll give you know, X amount for all the shows. And uh, because in a way, it kind of benefits me, right? Uh, like with Hover, how it works, that we're not doing a uh, affiliate program, but they will, uh, they kind of measure our performance based on how many people use our code. I, for all these, almost, you know, Leo Laporte does the same thing and many of these podcasts do. Uh, that's how they're able to track it. So we'll advertise it on all the shows and uh, we have a promo code specifically for that show. So we're able to measure internally 
uh, who did well on their show. That way we could pay out to our advertisers when they uh, get an ad. But uh, it's a network buy-in that we do. Uh, the price varies depending on the advertiser, of course. And um, we, we kind of sell it that way uh, for the network. Are you profitable? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So far, uh, last year was our first profitable year. Um, and uh, we're, we're kind of looking to double our uh, revenue this year with the network. So it, it's kind of... It, it's been growing consistently with the advertisers. Uh, it's it just you. It's it's hard to balance it because I'm kind of doing the sales right now. We have one person that we just hired to do it, but you kind of have to build this relationship with the advertisers because they're trusting money into your brand. So how do you uh, every every you know quarter? How do you make sure that these people are happy? So you have to a make sure the 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 growth is happening. You have to make sure the marketing is happening for your brand because if your audience is dropping, your the advertisers are not going to be really happy with that and they're not going to be happy with the results that they're getting. So we have to kind of track it and actually measure is it is it good for the long term if we do the ad this month because they might not be happy with the results. Like We have key months that we won't take a certain advertiser because we know they don't benefit from it. Right. Um, and we have a jewelry company for example, you know you'll do really well in February, but you might not want to take them in the middle of the summer. So we kind of have to kind of play it like that, and depending on what the time is with special promotions. But uh, we've been very lucky; we've been profitable, and uh, it's continuing to grow. Which I honestly, if you asked me three years ago, I wouldn't have told you that I can make money from this. And how many other people there are doing this full time as well with you with the GFQ network? I, my wife does the PR, which she, she doesn't do it full time, but she does our PR for us uh, behind the scenes. And I have one guy that's full time that does all our audio editing, video editing, uh, distribution. So he does all the back end work. So he's a full timer also. And everybody else uh, that's on air uh, gets uh, a revenue split. Gotcha. And, and the person who's doing your editing, is that an employee, a contracted worker? What do you got there? He was a contracted employer at first, but now he's an employee of the company. He was actually a viewer out of all things. Uh, he was a viewer that started doing, uh, actually, he just sent us, you know, clips and stuff from the show. He was making uh, videos and he was making uh, Photoshopped images and he was, he was good. And I decided uh, to contact him. I'm like, hey, do you want to do this part time? You know, if we have a we have something, can we just send it to you and you could do it? He goes, yeah, no problem. And I was sending him so much work. I ended up hiring him full time now. That is awesome. Andrew, it has been an honor to speak to you. Thank you for sharing just a little insights of your experience in building a podcast network. If people want to find you online, where should they go? Uh, they could go to the gfqnetwork.com or they could go to my other uh, website. It's a, a new organization that I just launched. Uh, it's called the International Association of Internet Broadcasters and the website is ibroadcastnetwork.org. Andrew, thank you very much for taking the time, my friend. Thank you, Cliff. Thank you for having me. Well, my friends, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Podcast Answer Man. I hope that you were inspired by Andrew's story about how he built a podcast network from a hobby where he was just streaming with a bunch of friends after being laid off for a couple months. My friends, there is so much opportunity in the world of podcasting and new media, and it's only getting brighter. The future in podcasting, I am so delighted to see so much of this stuff come into play. And I'm seeing more and more success stories like this as I move forward in this journey. Hey, real quickly, I want to give you a couple updates here. Blog World and New Media Expo 
Of course, I've already been telling you about the June 5th, 6th, and 7th event at the Jacob Javits Center in New York City. If you haven't signed up already, go over to Blog World Expo. Actually, no, don't do that. Go to podcastanswerman.com. Click on where it says I'm speaking at Blog World and you can use the link there. If you use the code GSPN10, you will get 10% off of your registration fee. So go ahead and do that. And also, big announcement about the next event following the June event. I can finally tell you today on Thursday, April 19th, 2012, I have been holding this back for so long. The next event for the West Coast is being moved to Vegas. That's right. Blog World's going back to Vegas. And the cool thing is, is they're moving it to January. It's going to be January 6th through the 8th, 2013. The final day of Blog World and New Media Expo, which of course it's going to have a new name by then. Uh, but anyway, the final day of the conference is the first day of CES, the Consumer Electronics Show. That means, my friends, I will be able to go not just to Blog World and New Media Expo, but I will be able to also go to CES in one single trip. So more details on that. Actually, episode number three of the podcast report is going to feature an interview with a with uh, Rick Calvert, CEO and co-founder of Blog World, to talk a little bit more about why they're making that change. You can find that podcast at gspn.tv forward slash the podcast report. Anyway, real quick update on my iTunes marketing experiment. Remember, I had told you that I had never out of all these years asked anybody to ever leave me a rating or a review in iTunes. Well, my friends, since uh, April 12th, we've gone from 35 to 52 ratings. And I want to thank each and every one of you for doing that. And I specifically by name want to thank the following individuals for leaving a review. And of course, that's going to be Samuel Lewis, Lord Techie, Jim Queso, Brandon Patrick, Christopher Battles, and Brian J. Wallace. Just really excited to know that you guys are out there doing that for me. If you want to leave a rating or review to help further the promotion of Podcast Answer Man to the tech community in iTunes, please go to podcastanswerman.com forward slash iTunes link. And my friends, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. I want to encourage you to take your show to the next level.